Welcome, everybody. My name is Warren Perry, and I'm a researcher for the Catalog of American Portraits. And we're very glad to see you here on this Elvis's 74th birthday. The latest news I understand out of Memphis is that Priscilla Beaulieu Presley showed up at the Memphis State Marshall game last night and announced an additional scholarship to the University of Memphis, or Memphis State. It was Memphis State when I went there. And she announced an additional scholarship to the university from the Elvis Presley Foundation. Elvis, uh, it was 1977 when Elvis passed away, and you might think the Elvis news stops, but it never stops. <laughs> it keeps on going. I want to talk first about the portrait, then talk briefly about, um, about Elvis's life and about his records, his movies, and then I want to talk lastly uh, about charity, Elvis and charity, and then I want to hit briefly on Elvis and Elvis literature. <clears throat> First of all, the gentleman who painted this portrait is Ralph Wolf Cowan. Ralph is still alive. He's very much with us. He used to have a studio across the street from the portrait gallery, and when I spoke with him a couple of years ago, he said he never dreamed he would have a portrait in the National Portrait Gallery, and to, and to him, this is certainly one of his greatest accomplishments. Although, he has many other great accomplishments as an artist. Um, I have a small vitae of him here. One of the most impressive things about the artist is, and not, not many people know this about Ralph, but Mr. Cowan is considered to be the number one portrait painter in the world, and he's been recognized for painting more reigning monarchs and world leaders than anyone in history. And I think I have a short list. Actually, it's a long list of people he's painted. This top section alone is the royalty and the dignitaries, and we see people on here like Lyndon B. Johnson, John F. Kennedy, Princess Grace and Prince Albert of Monaco, Prince Ernst and Princess Caroline, Princess Stephanie of Monaco, the Sultan of Brunei, King Fahd of Saudi Arabia, Pope John Paul II, Prince Rainier of Monaco, it, it, it goes on and on. It's uh, truly an amazing list. The portraits are big, and they have elements of, in literature, they, they call it magical realism. They're these, they have these huge fantasy elements about them. You see President Reagan and, and President Kennedy there, and, and Nancy Reagan right there in this long, flowing red... These are all commissioned. He goes in and he sits with these people. He actually had an audience with the Pope here in Washington, D.C. briefly years ago. He's met every one of these people, and because these people have a limited amount of time on their hands, typically he makes a few sketches, and then what he does is take a few photos. He consults with them a few times, but yes, it's... Uh, very much a for-profit enterprise, and he is very much recognized in those, in those higher, higher levels as, as the painter, the one you go to. There's, uh, there's a picture in here, I believe, of, I think it's, well, there's one of Elvis that hangs at Graceland. And then, the really, there's uh, Donald Trump right there, a very young Donald Trump. 
my wife indicated this to me last night. This is very interesting. I don't know how much time that the Donald had to sit for this portrait, but look at that sweater. And Shannon was so keen to observe. Here's Ralph Wolf Cowan's sweater, so he might have had to do a little bit of uh, fixing on that. But there's some, there's some other images in here of Johnny Mathis. This is from the album cover of Heavenly. And Mr. Cowan has painted no less than six album covers for Johnny Mathis. Let me tell you a little bit more about him. Here's a letter he wrote when I, um, I made this inquiry a couple of years ago. He was kind enough to write me back to tell me a little bit about the origin of this work. And he says, Dear Warren, in the early 1950s, I painted a portrait of Johnny Mathis for his first album cover, Heavenly. Elvis saw the painting and for years tried to contact me through Johnny Mathis. It may have been a competition between stars or just phone tag. Johnny and I had been close friends and I think Johnny wanted to keep my artistic talent to himself. And of course, I didn't want to risk my friendship with Johnny. There was always a mutual admiration. I loved Johnny's singing and he loved my paintings. Through the years, I've painted six album covers for him. It wasn't until the early 1960s when I asked to open the first portrait painting studio, when I was asked to open the first portrait painting studio at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas. It was then that Elvis walked in, put his hands across the door and said, you can't get away from me this time and I'll wear whatever you want. I started drawing him that night on a blank 48 inch circular canvas that was abandoned when he told me he preferred the full length size portrait. When the full length painting was finished, Elvis came by and personally carried the four foot, seven, four foot by seven foot painting across Las Vegas Boulevard to his room at the Aladdin where he always stayed. I was told about that portrait and my friendship with, I told all about that portrait and my friendship with Elvis in a film organized by Priscilla called Graceland. After Elvis died, there were many ridiculous sightings of Elvis. I humorously painted him on a canvas as though he were at the wheel of a car. I framed it in a car door that I painted pink, the same shade as his Cadillac at Graceland. My assistant manager at the time had a lot of fun with it. One day they drove the painting down in my Chrysler convertible to the National Enquirer headquarters. <laughs> they left my car at the corner with the painting of Elvis framed in the window. Sure enough, the National Enquirer photographed it, printed it, and claimed it as another Elvis sighting. <laughs> that year, that painting won a prize at the Fort Lauderdale Art Museum. Somehow the National Portrait Gallery got wind of it. Your board passed on it because the car door that it was framed in wasn't the same year and model as Elvis's Cadillac, but they wanted to know what else I had painted since I was the only painter that Elvis ever sat for. Also the only painter he ever paid for and the only one he ever allowed to hang in Graceland. When Elvis died, his full-length painting was hanging in his bedroom. The painting was very personal to him. This fit all the requirements of the National Portrait Gallery. Luckily, I had rolled up all the unfinished paintings from Vegas and stored them in my mother's garage at Portsmouth, Virginia. I was able to restore and repair the circular Elvis portrait. As you can see, I added the red shirt and the blue sky to make it different from the Graceland painting. Also, that was the one the board approved. I've heard from clients who have seen the portrait hanging at the National Portrait Gallery that it gets great attention. For that, I'm very happy. Elvis was funny and had charisma that was bigger than life. I enjoyed our friendship. If you have any questions, feel free to call. Sincerely, Ralph Wolf Cowan. Um, he's a terribly nice man. And Mr. Cowan, when I talked to him one night over a couple of hours, he was practically in tears at times talking about how lucky he felt. And, and this he considers to be 
the hugest honor. And that's, that's a pretty great honor among honors because he's painted an awfully uh, large number of people. Let's talk a little bit about Elvis. He was born on this day in 1935, so he would be 74 years old today, which would make him, what is that, nine years into his Social Security benefits, if I'm right. <laughs> He's been dead for 32 years this coming August. One of the more interesting statistics that you read is over those 32 years, how many of his albums, how many of his individual records have gone gold again? How is that? There's always Elvis fans, but interestingly, every time you buy an Elvis record in a new format, RCA keeps a total on it. So when you got rid of your eight tracks and you went to cassette and you bought Elvis's um, In the Ghetto or Suspicious Minds, all the people who went out just like you and bought it in that new format made that album or that record gold or platinum again with the conversion to CD. Everything in the new format went gold or platinum again. With respect to his movies, they sell in all the new formats as well. He died in 1977 on August 16th. His first number one record was, I bet Sid can tell us this, what was his first number one record? On the flip side, Heartbreak Hotel. That was, that was exactly where he was going, 1956. His last, or his latest, we should say, number one record, was uh, in 2002, A Little Less Conversation. It was the dance remix of A Little Less Conversation. Had a number one record 25 years after his death. I don't know that anybody has done that. The following statistics are compiled by Graceland. You can find these on Elvis.com. In one of Peter Guralnik's books, there's uh, also a lot of tables that discuss, that discuss Elvis and the numbers. The numbers are just amazing. He had no less than 40, 149 songs to appear on Billboard's Hot 100 pop chart. Of these, 114 were in the top 40, 40 were in the top 10, 18 went on to be number one. His number one singles spent 80 weeks on the charts at number one. He also had 90 charted albums, with 10 of them reaching number one. If you've ever been to Graceland, everybody kids about Graceland, and that's because the house stopped in 1977. Really, it stopped a few years earlier than that because he never had it redesigned after, I think it was Bill Eubanks who did the final interior touches to it. So the house looks like Holmes did in, in the mid and late 1970s. So we all look at the earth tones and all that sort of thing, and we kind of laugh and say it's out of date. You may laugh at the inside of the house because it's no longer in fashion, but if you walk into the trophy room and you look down the hall of gold, it's about 50 feet long, and from floor to ceiling, it's racked up with gold singles and gold albums. And you're going down and looking at the names of the records, and it says, don't be cruel. Well, a million here, uh, Hound Dog, a million there, Jailhouse Rock, a million there, Love Me Tender, a million there. You start thinking in terms of millions, and all these songs just go all the way down the wall. Oh my goodness, he sang that. He sang that too. It's, it's a pretty stunning sight, and, and they don't call it the Hall of Gold for no reason. It's, it's all gold records straight down the hallway. It's estimated that Elvis sold, has, sold, has sold more than one billion record units worldwide. In America alone, 
He had 150 different albums and singles certified gold, platinum, or multi-platinum by the Recording Industry Association of America with more certifications expected as research into past record sales is completed. Research is also underway to document his record sale achievements in other countries. It's estimated that 40% of Elvis's total record sales have been outside the United States. And again, when you go in the Hall of Gold in the trophy room, you see awards from RCA and RCA divisions from Scandinavia, from Africa, from Asia, from Europe. The trophies go on and on and on. He starred in 31 feature films. His two most critically acclaimed were Jailhouse Rock and King Creole. He never received any big awards like an Emmy or an Oscar, but he does have three Grammys. Interestingly, all three of the Grammys, none of them are for rock and roll. They're all for his gospel recordings. He's, if I'm not mistaken, the only person in the rock and roll, in the country, and I want to say the R&B Hall of Fame. I think he's in all three of those Hall of Fames. His three network television specials, and this is, how, this is an indication of how Elvis moved with technology. Elvis in 1968, which is also called the Comeback Special, the Aloha from Hawaii via satellite, and the Elvis in Concert Special stand among the most highly rated specials of all time. His 68 special is one of the most critically acclaimed music specials of all time. His 1973 special, Elvis Aloha from Hawaii via satellite was the first satellite broadcast ever. It was seen in 40 countries by an estimated one to one and a half billion people. It made television history and it was seen on more TVs in the United States than the moon landing. So that's pretty, that's respect. One of the one of the interesting rooms that you see in Graceland, within the trophy room, is the room dedicated to Elvis's charitable contributions. We all talk about Elvis and you hear the wild stories, the stories of uh, the late nights, staying up with his buddies in Memphis, playing football on the lawn, or flying to Denver to get a fried peanut butter and banana sandwich. All the wild stories about him shooting out a television set because he didn't like Robert Goulet. You know, <laughs> Damn. <laughs> One of the most interesting things about Elvis was, oh, very much. He slept well into the day, and then he performed in the evening or stayed up with his friends playing. He had a racquetball court built behind Graceland, so they'd go outside. And inside the racquetball court, actually, there's a piano, and there's a little snack bar and everything. So he had his own place away from the house if anybody wanted to sleep. He had his own, his own playland inside Graceland. The, um, sorry, what was I... Charity. Charity. Every year at Christmas time, he would sit down and write out checks to 50 charities in Memphis, Tennessee. He'd write out a $1,000 check to each of them and send them all. So $50,000 every year. He never claimed it on his taxes. He said if you get something back from it, then it's really not like charity at all, is it? Routinely, when he found out friends had, uh, or family members had money problems, he'd pay their house notes, he'd pay their bills. He'd, uh, he was notorious for showing up on car lots in Memphis and buying cars for people he'd see wandering around. Notorious, when you say notorious, he was famous for that. Uh, one, one Cadillac salesman in Memphis gave him an award for being the, the greatest purchaser of Cadillacs of all time. And there's stories about how he went in one day and bought 14 Cadillacs and, and gave the keys to each to a friend of his. 
I don't know if anybody knows this, but this is a pretty interesting thing. Elvis is closely tied to the USS Arizona Memorial at Pearl Harbor. Anybody heard this story? After World War II, funds were being raised to turn the USS Arizona into a monument. Well, the fund drive went on for years and years. It was gonna cost a little over a half a million dollars to create the Arizona Memorial. The money just wasn't there and the fund drive kinda, kinda slowed and, and interest in it slowed down. In 1961, when Elvis was in Hawaii filming Blue Hawaii, in March, he gave a concert at the base at Pearl Harbor and the benefits for the concert were given over to the Pearl Harbor Memorial Association. The concert raised over $50,000. Elvis himself is responsible for 10% of the funds that it took to build the Pearl Harbor Memorial and to put it into place. Interestingly, after that concert, there was a renewed effort into establishing the Pearl Harbor Memorial and many people say that it's because of Elvis. There are two, two plaques that I know of that attest to Elvis's contribution there. One is at the Block Arena at Pearl Harbor that talks about the memorial concert, and then the other is at Graceland, and it's a plaque from the Pearl Harbor Memorial Association to Elvis in thanks for his efforts to create the, to, to help perpetuate the fundraising of the USS Arizona Memorial. So, that's charity. The last thing I wanna talk about very briefly, I want to talk a little bit about Elvis literature. We all talk about Elvis in terms of big star and how Elvis really was the pace setter for so many things, not just the music, but also the, uh, the industry that movie stars and rock stars spawn, all the satellite stuff, the, the lunch boxes, the toys, the, the games, all this. Elvis, I think, might be unique in that a whole body of world literature has been spawned by the Elvis phenomena. And I brought a few examples with me. Of course, there are biographies. There are lots of biographies. The guards at Graceland, Elvis's maids, Elvis's family, there's a lot of people in that family down there. And of course, more people, more scholarly people. I'm currently reading this one by Charles Ponce de Leon. And this is almost, um, this is almost a capitalist take on Elvis. It talks about Elvis, it talks about how much he earned and how much he meant to the world, but it, it puts things very much in a capitalist perspective. And Mr. Ponce de Leon is, um, I believe he's, um, yes, he's an historian at Purchase College at SUNY. He's got a really interesting take. There are other biographies out there. Peter Goralnik's work is probably the most famous set of biographies on Elvis. But then there's everybody else who wants to put their own lens on Elvis. Here are some examples. This is the towel of Elvis. This is in search of Elvis's Jewish roots. It's called Schmelvis. And this is one for the, for the New Agers. This was truly an interesting book. I've read through this. Elvis's Afterlife, Unusual Psychic Experiences Surrounding the Death of a Superstar. There are interesting things in here, stories like a young lady in the South who was at work in a restaurant and all of a sudden she was called by her buddy and said, Elvis died. Well, they were big Elvis fans. She started crying. She rushed home. And when she got home, her entire Elvis record collection had melted. Nothing else in her house was on fire. So, 
a, series, a further series of scholarly studies, Elvis through, through various other scholarly lenses, Elvis culture, faith, fans, and image. That's a nice compilation. And then, of course, this is one of my favorites. Are you hungry tonight? This is Elvis's <laughs> recipes. And then Elvis fashion from Memphis to Vegas. This was assembled by Judy Mundy, but I bought this at Bernard Lansky's store in Memphis in the Peabody Hotel, and Mr. Lansky is the one who was responsible for outfitting Elvis during his first few years touring and all that, and um, Mr. Lansky is always very, very happy to talk with you about Elvis, and, and uh, he also will make sure that if he has it available, he'll sell you some nice pink argyle socks or nice pink shirt, and then... Finally, this is interesting. This is the Where's Elvis, and it's got pictures of different places and events. The Million Man March, and we've got the Chicago Gay Men's Chorus, Lennon's Tomb in Moscow, and there's Elvis sightings in all of these. Thank you very much for coming out, and happy Elvis's birthday to each and every one of you. Thank you. <laughs> Questions? Yes, ma'am. I had heard, and this is me remembering from when I was a kid, and I don't know how accurate it was, I had heard that he was worth about $5 million at that time, but there were always problems with Elvis either not listening to his father or not listening to, to Colonel Tom Parker. Colonel Tom always wanted there to be more money. Vernon said, you can't keep squandering, Vernon Presley, Elvis Presley's father, said, you can't keep squandering all this money away. The whole coterie of, of guys who surrounded Elvis, his, his bodyguards and his buddies, they were called the Memphis Mafia, and they were always on salary. The interesting thing about the Memphis Mafia, Colonel Tom liked them to be around because it kept Elvis from going out and, and, and being assaulted by the public. These guys, I mean, they literally, they flanked him on all sides whenever he would go around. It cost money to support those guys. He spent a lot of money on whimsical things. And if you ever go to the, the house down at Graceland, you see what obviously cost a lot of money. He had three TVs in one room. He had a, his pool room had, uh, had this amazing cloth arrangement on the ceiling to dampen sound. He could go through a lot of money. Of course, since his, since his death, the estate has, uh, has become a cash cow. So there's an entire Elvis industry that's, that's been around for 32 years now. And Lisa Marie Presley is the beneficiary of that, although she sold, I want to say, 80% of the rights to that to, uh, to a large firm in New York, and now they manage Elvis's enterprises in Memphis. So it's, worth a whole lot now. it's worth a lot now. Yes, ma'am. Any other questions? Great question. Are you going to sing any the <laughs> No, because we want people to stay friendly to the National Portrait Gallery. <laughs> But I'll, I'll sing with you if you want, Sid. <laughs> in the 70s, before he died, his career had really gone downhill, though, right? All he could do was perform in Vegas. He did and, a lot of performing. Of course, after his death, he's become more popular. Is that a fair characterization? That's an interesting characterization, and I've heard it a few times. I think, I think it's, it's more optimistic to say he might have been... He might have been at a low point with respect to movies, but he was always reinventing himself. He didn't tour a lot during the 1960s because he was working in the movies. Well, in the 1970s, he wasn't making a lot of movies because he was spending all his time touring or performing in Vegas. So it might have been a visual moment, you know, a visual ebb, but 
his audio was everywhere. And I remember when I was in, I was in sixth grade, I think in 1976, and he had songs on the charts in 1976. So I, I don't know, I always think, I wonder what, you know, if he were alive, what would he, you know, would he be Broadway or, you know, maybe more Vegas or, you know, he never toured outside. Say that again, Sid, I'm sorry. Yeah, which, you know, from time to time we see these stars and they, and they go through these bouts and they, you know, it might be, it might be, uh, they might need, be in need of rehabbing for pharmaceuticals or food or drinking or what have you. And by the time he passed away, well, you know, because he died of cardiac arrhythmia, but it was brought on by all sorts of things. Certainly he was overweight when he passed away. It would, have, it would be real interesting to see what path that career took after that. He was 42 when he passed away. This, yeah. Oddly, his mother was the same age when she passed away. He was pretty overweight at that time. So, yeah. Okay. Thank you, Thank you very much. Thank you for coming out. Good job.